Two weeks ago, Matthew preached a very good and very encouraging message from Psalm chapter 42 and 43, which was all about hope for the downcast. And many of us, if not all of us, identified with that message. Well, the Lord must be wanting to, for us to blossom in our hope here because what we have before us on this very beautiful Easter morning is a message about resurrection hope as we see it in the life of Peter. You may not have ever heard this, but the Apostle Peter is known in church history as the Apostle of Hope. And you know that Christian hope is not anything wishy-washy. Biblical hope is not anything wishy-washy. Oh, I hope we get to go fishing. But I'm not sure if we're going to get to go. It looks like it's going to storm, but I sure hope so, but we probably won't. That kind of hope is not the same as the idea of Christian hope. Christian hope is the confidence that we will forever belong to Christ because of his grace and that all future gospel benefits are ours with certainty. That is biblical and Christian hope. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And because Peter's first epistle is so filled with this kind of hope, he has been called the apostle of hope. And it's really right at the beginning of his letter in verse 3 that that hope shines forth with its greatest clarity and strength. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Please keep in mind, however, that some 30 years prior to his writing these inspired words, Peter did not have resurrection hope. And that lack of hope affected who he was and how he responded to the events unfolding around him. The praise to God that he reflected in his first epistle was absent then. And his commitment to Christ was weak at best then. And then what I want to do this morning is I plan to use Mark's gospel to look back at the time when Peter was in need of a sure hope and then to look briefly at Peter's first epistle to show what kind of impact our Lord's resurrection had on Peter's certain and sure hope. It dramatically changed his life. And you know what? That's what I want. And I know that's what you want. So may God help us and that's how utterly important this message is for you and for me. So this morning as we consider resurrection hope, I'll call it often, 
In the life of Peter, I want us to first see the need for sure hope in Peter's life. Because there was a great need in Peter's life for hope. And I believe firmly that this need can be best seen in the Gospel of Mark. The reason I want to use this particular Gospel to see Peter's need is because Peter actually played a huge role in providing us with the Gospel of Mark. He was the very one who recounted all of the events about the life of Christ to John Mark so that Mark could then put them all together and write them down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Mark's gospel has Peter's apostolic perspective written all over it from start to finish. And as he looked back and recounted these things to Mark, what we find Peter doing is highlighting his own sin and weakness and need for hope for us. We even find that he left out some notable things that he could have said about himself that the other gospel writers included in their gospel, which I think is telling. For example, Mark records Jesus walking on water, but he makes absolutely no mention of Peter walking on water. In the history of mankind, there's only been two people, just two, who have ever walked on water, and yet apparently Peter did not feel the need to communicate that to Mark. I think it was with his head down. I really believe that Peter wanted this gospel to reflect his need for sure and certain hope, and he wanted to highlight the Lord Jesus Christ alone as the place where that hope can be found. So in Mark's gospel, Christ's deity is quickly announced from heaven. And then it is magnificently demonstrated in his sovereign authority over demons, disease, nature, his enemies, and even over death itself. As early as chapter 5, Mark records Jesus resurrecting a little 12-year-old girl from the dead. And then as early as chapter 8, Jesus begins to teach his disciples that he himself must suffer and be killed and rise from the dead on the third day. Up to this point, only Satan, only Satan had tried to derail the cross and the empty tomb. Now Peter jumps in with both feet and follows suit. He had just acknowledged Christ's deity. And immediately he says, in essence, I know better than you, Jesus. Stop this foolish talk. Come here. Come here. Stop this foolish talk about your death and resurrection. 
And nowhere in Scripture do we find a more harsh rebuke from Jesus to one of his disciples than this one to Peter. Nowhere to one of his disciples. Not a rebuke. We find a harsh statement about Judas. But not a rebuke meant to move a loving rebuke. But nowhere do we find a more harsh one given to a disciple to move that disciple along in the right direction. You see, Peter was arrogant. Peter was all about himself and he was misguided and he was so opinionated no one talks to Jesus more than Peter. And Jesus talks to no one more than anyone else but Peter. And this public rebuke from Jesus would have absolutely rocked Peter. Jesus taught his disciples that he must be killed and rise again in chapter 8. And again in chapter 9. And again in chapter 10. And these repeated words of Christ would have literally felt like a knife to Peter. Dying and rising from the dead was Christ's absolute uh, centerpiece of his message. It was his central message. And yet not only could Peter not comprehend it, he had publicly opposed it. And therefore, he couldn't have had a sure and certain hope of salvation. And therefore, he was much weaker in his commitment to Christ than he could have ever dreamed that he was. He had no idea. Well, it doesn't take Mark's gospel long and you're in the upper room. And then you're on the Mount of Olives hearing this perilous word from Christ to his disciples. The shepherd, Christ speaking of himself, the shepherd will soon be struck, he tells them. And all of you sheep, speaking to his disciples who had been with them for, for uh, three years, will scatter like a bunch of Ants in total fear. Not me. Uh, what, what, what was that Jesus said? What, who, uh, did someone say something? Of course it was Peter. Not me. Everyone else might scatter, Lord. But not me. Oh, really, Peter? Not only will you run in fear for your life, just like the rest, you will even deny knowing me. I don't know the man. And then Peter leads the pack in saying, No, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. Well, that's what Peter said, wasn't it? And that's what Peter meant. 
But Mark records what actually happened, and Peter's the one that told him, I believe with his head down. When the religious leaders came to arrest Jesus, we read in Mark chapter 14, verse 50, that every single one of the disciples, and that includes Peter, abandoned Jesus and fled in fear. Can't you imagine after all the dust settled, Peter sadly saying something like this to himself, I am without hope. I am in need of sure and certain hope because right now I feel like I'm the apostle of hopelessness. And he would have been right. In his own strength, he was the apostle of hopelessness. And in a matter of just a few hours, he would deny Christ three times and even swear that he did not know him because he was so utterly afraid. Weak, sinful, hopeless. Don't you agree? But let's not be too hard on Peter. I know someone personally who many years ago felt so hopeless in who he was, so tired of weakness and failure and sin, so tired of running, that he stopped at a hospital to make an appointment with a psychologist in order to tell someone, anyone, who he was, exactly who he was, without pulling any punches. And that someone was me. Weak, sinful, and in need of a sure hope. And isn't that similar to what Peter, through John Mark, has done for us? It would not have been easy for him to recount his many sins and blunders and weaknesses to Mark without pulling any punches. Think about who this guy is. Often we or others have said about Peter that, I think we've all said this, haven't we? That Peter is arrogant, was arrogant, overly opinionated, and always in need of oral surgery because he needed to have his foot removed from his mouth, things like that. And Peter, in this case, says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you who I was. Let me say those things about myself. Let me take inventory of my own life. And maybe it will encourage you all this morning to take inventory of yours. Because unless you take inventory of your own life and come to the clear conclusion that in and of yourself because of your sin and because of your pride and me mine, we're hopeless until you come to that conclusion and say with the Apostle Paul within me that is within my flesh dwells no good thing as far as God, how God deems goodness until you get there then the hope that is to be found in the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection will never mean very much to you at all. You know, that can be true of believers in Jesus Christ. 
It can also be true for those who do not know Christ savingly. Maybe you've come here this morning and you're thinking, you know what? All my life I've been caught in a web of hopelessness. I see it now. Once I was blind, but now I see it. And, and you're saying, well, maybe even praying to God. I need a sure and certain hope that is outside of myself. An alien hope. Not anything that is within me, but outside of me. I need a sure and certain hope that is found solely, I believe, in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that's you, then listen closely to some of the very last words in Mark's Gospel because they may be God's answer to your prayer. That's where we find a young man dressed in a white robe. Well, actually, an angel from heaven delivering God's message, saying to the women who had come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body, you seek Jesus, don't you? He is risen. He is not here. Now go, tell his disciples and Peter and Peter, that he is going before you in Galilee just as he said he would. Now, no other gospel includes Peter's name like that. Go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus has risen. Why not just say go tell his disciples that he's risen? Peter's one of them, isn't he? And the answer is obvious. The various Gospels give different details at times which allow us to have a fuller picture of what actually happened. And so putting Peter's name into the equation, the women must have said something like this to Christ's disciples. God's heavenly messenger wanted us to tell you. And then they turned to Peter and they said, especially you, Peter, especially you that our Lord who was crucified is risen from the dead and is alive evermore. As stunned as he was when Jesus rebuked him, he's probably standing there even more stunned trying to get the words out, especially me. For me, for poor, bankrupt, weak, Sinful, me, especially me. Well, I wonder if you hear God's voice this morning that personally. I wonder if in the preaching of the word, you hear him trying to move you along to the right place. And he's saying to you, I especially want you to know that my son was crucified for you so that you would not have to worry about the guilt of your sin anymore because he dealt with it on the cross. And I especially want you to know that he's not a dead savior whose only talk he has risen for the, from the dead for you. And he wants you to find all of your hope in him. And this leads us to the impact of sure hope in Peter's 
life. So we move now to about 30 years after the events in Mark's Gospel to the writing of Peter's first epistle. And I'll only be jumping in piecemeal, piece, piecemeal in this epistle. There's just so much. But just to get the point across, it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gave him the sure and certain hope he needed. He mentions it in verses 3 through 5. He mentions it, I believe, in verse 21. He mentions it again in another particular verse in these five chapters. And then you find hope scattered here and there three or four or five different times from the, the apostle of hope. Without a proper understanding of Christ's bodily resurrection, Peter was weak. He was running in fear. He was denying Christ in the face of great trial and persecution. And he thought that all, all was lost when Jesus died. But having seen the risen Christ and having experienced him over some period of time, Peter was absolutely thrilled, and you can tell it when he writes this, can't you? Absolutely thrilled to write these amazing, inspired words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, again, going piecemeal to get the point across because there's so much here. Where did the resurrection move him in terms of his sure and certain hope? It moved him to greater praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was moved to greater praise. I think we could all be moved to greater praise, couldn't we? Can't we all be more impressed than we are right now with someone who is totally unique, different from the 12-year-old girl, different from every other uh, person that was resurrected in the power of God because they died again. But this one was perfectly righteous. And this one was God and man. He was the very son of God. And so his resurrection was totally unique. And in its uniqueness, and what that has to do with us, we cry out to you, Lord, so that we might praise you more in the worship of, of your people and that we might praise you more in our homes, among our children, and that we might praise you more wherever we are. Well, second, he was moved to great gospel understanding, and I think in several ways. He was moved to attribute salvation to God's sovereign mercy now. He says it like this, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. 
That's what Peter needed, wasn't it? He needed great mercy. He didn't need to stick his chest out anymore. He needed great mercy. He was tired of trying to merit God's acceptance on his own because he realized that won't get him anywhere. It was mercy he was thrilled with. And he was just like Titus who said, Christ saved us, or God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior Peter was moved to attribute salvation to God's sovereign mercy. He was also moved to a true knowledge of the need for Christ's death and resurrection. Is this the same Peter? No. Where formerly he had rebuked Jesus for even talking about his death and resurrection, now he's rejoicing in it. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again through, he says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is, there is a synecdote here. It's very important for all of us to realize that whenever the resurrection of Jesus Christ is taught in Scripture, it includes everything that Christ did in his life and death to save us. If only the resurrection is mentioned, those other things come in the whole package with it. Or when one of those other things, if Christ's death is only mentioned, his perfect righteous life, whereby he's able to lay his life down as the uh, lamb without blemish on the cross, if that's what's mentioned, then the resurrection comes with that. His perfect... His perfect and sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection, conquering death, always go together, no matter which one is being taught. They go, come as a package. So, the Bible teaches that on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins in his death, and he satisfied God's judgment against us, there on the cross by bearing our sins and his resurrection proves that his death accomplished that. The Bible also teaches that we are saved by his righteous life. The resurrection proves that he was indeed God's spotless lamb because the grave could not hold him. You see, in order for sinners to be saved, they need atonement made for their sin and they need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts them both together and says, He, God, made him Christ to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, there is no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved and we receive it by trusting solely in Him.
Isn't that wonderful? We receive all of this. We receive him and, and his redemptive work on our behalf by trusting or resting, just like you're resting in your chairs. You're not worried about them falling, are you? You fall into the arms of Jesus and you rest solely in him and in what he has done for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, Peter was moved to attribute salvation to the merciful and sovereign God. He was moved to a true knowledge of the need for Christ's death and resurrection. And he was also moved to the great gospel understanding that he now had a living hope. Peter was trusting in lesser things to a great degree through the gospel of Mark. And whenever people ultimately trust in these lesser things, it's not a living hope, it's a dead hope. It's a dead end. Anything except Jesus is a dead end. Jesus is a living hope because he's a living savior. He was there when the world was created. He was there throughout redemptive history and appeared every now and then in, in, uh, in human form uh, as the angel of the Lord. And he was there at Bethlehem and he was born so that he might become one like us. And so Jesus is that living hope who did everything right under the law and then was crucified for you and for me and then rose again on the third day so that through him we might be forgiven and have life in him. Many people place their hope in things that are only fleeting such as money, security, jobs, relationships, and so on, but these will all come to an end. They are all things that are ultimately hopeless. The foundation for an eternal living hope is a living Savior, isn't it? And we embrace Him with the empty hand of faith. It's a living hope that promises the certainty of a glorious future. It's a living hope. Everything is going to get better for us. That's what's going to happen. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes on the last day, our bodies uh, following the first fruits of Christ's resurrection will rise and we will receive a glorified body like his. And so this is an amazing thing because he rose, we will also rise as well. Now that's a living hope. And finally... Peter was moved to serve the one who, who saved him. If you read through this epistle of Peter, what you'll find is a changed Peter. He is just diametrically different. It's just unreal. And because God is the one who did this, he wants to obey him. Because God is the one who has done all this and saved him. He wants to uh, face the world with the confidence of God. And so you see that in this letter. 
And what do we know from church history? That this one who fled when the disciples all fled and scattered, this one who denied Christ because he was so frightened and even swore to it, he, he was crucified because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so in looking at this, are we a congregation that wants to follow suit. I'm going to admit something to you right now. I am not where Peter is in 1 Peter. I'm not there. Sorry. But I want to be. And God is able. And I believe that he will take us, if we're willing, that same route of Peter. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's something that you hear the Lord calling your name, then look to Him alone because there is no other resting place. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What a beautiful gospel. What love. Let's pray.